sons unleashed. G'day ladies and gents, Robbie Turner's my name, welcome to another cracking episode of Axons Unleashed and I, I say that in a really genuine and authentic manner, I don't know how cracking this episode's going to be but I just fucking know, don't we Luki, that it's like hold on to your hats and if you're talking about um, someone who's been able to transition and find their soft landing and really give back almost as much as us, really give back to the Sooner veteran veteran community. Uh, Adrian Sutter from Swiss 8, brother, thank you so much for joining us on Axons Unleashed. How are you? Good, boys, good. Thanks for having me on. Mate, no dramas. Mate, straight up front, I think I think the thing that I'm going to enjoy about this the most is it's one person for you know it's it's for one person to stand there and criticise and pass judgment and not fucking do anything for the defence community, but it's another thing when you take action and you just go, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to actually put measures in place to be able to support that community. Yeah. So, mate, I'm really looking forward to you having an opportunity to, to share, share your story. Mate, I, I appreciate it. And, and before I even get into it, that, that was 100% where this thing came from. Um, I, I love the veteran community, but I think as we all know, there's a there's a 50-50 mix of, of the boys and girls out there that just love to have a win regardless of what the mm. outcome. And, and um, that's fantastic. But when, when you start losing mates, you can't just whinge and, and blame the world. you kind of got to do something about it. So. Yes, I remember the old story. Um, the diggers are happy when they're whinging. I tell you what, <laughs> fucking when you see a veteran whinging, no, it makes me wince. I'm not, that's not a good space to be. I'm like, fucking let it go. Mate, but it is that, isn't it? It's the yeah. culture from defence. Like, we love a good, <laughs> diggers love a good whinge. And it, it's kind of healthy when you're still in. Yeah. When you're out, not yeah. so much. And yeah. we're now whinging about diggers whinging. But anyway, we get the picture. <laughs> But no, it's a it's a classic sort of um, tale there. So um, let's just go on the normal story arc. Like I know, I know that you're the owner of Squiss Eight, and we'll absolutely unpack that going forward. And you know, literally, ladies and gents, if you are now listening or watching this for the first time, you're like, "What the fuck is Squiss Eight?" Like I was ten days ago, Luke, mm. when you coordinated this, and thank you, mate, for, for facilitating. I know that you know uh, Adrian through sort of the broader network of your um, of your friends friends and colleagues, which is great. Um, but yeah, once you really look into it, team, uh, you know, watch and listen to all of this podcast. I know something. All of you are going to get, you know, a bunch of a bunch of stuff out of this. But Adrian, take us back to the start, mate. Who are you? Like, where'd you grow up? Why'd you join the military? And tell us all about basic training and stuff. Like, I like, this is a bit I don't know about you. Yeah, good, good. Um, well, I mean, I'm I'm from Newcastle. I'm sitting in Coogee RSL, Coogee Diggers Club right Go. now. Awesome. They're legends. They've given us space, and, and we'll we'll get into that later. But I grew up in Newcastle. Um, and and I got to the age of 16, was obsessed with, with joining the military, watched too many movies. I mean, my story 10 years ago is very different to my, my origin story now because I understand why I did things the way I did them when I was younger. And um, realistically, I just watched too many movies and I wanted to be six foot tall and bulletproof and it seemed like mm. the way to be part of history and the way to be the most masculine man you possibly can is to, to go and join the military and, and do all the things they do. And Looking back now, that's what I've started to realise. I'm like, the military became my rite of passage to becoming mm. a man. I, in, in our generation, it's even worse today, but my generation coming to, through adolescence was like, there's there's no real societal milestones that teach you how to become from or how to transition from boyhood to, to manhood. And and the military's amazing at that. Like, it, it has a, a, an official formulated rite of passage, which is basic training that, that teaches you some life skills to become this big tough alleged bulletproof <laughs> kind of person um and that was that was me so I, I at the age of 16 i wanted to join the military originally i wanted to become a fighter pilot which was 
probably because of movies kicking around at that time. Definitely too many um, movies. <laughs> oh, yeah. And aren't I glad? No offence to the Raffies out there, but fuck, I'm glad I joined the Army instead. Um, but that, that was me. And then I went through all the, the initial kind of school testing stuff. I don't know what it's like now, but back then you could start the testing process while you're still in high school to set yourself up for year 11 and 12 courses. Did all that and then started doing those kind of courses to become a pilot and then realised that I was too tall and too heavy. And I was like, they, they kind of came back to me and said, look, you can fly cargo planes. I'm like, they don't make movies about cargo planes. <laughs> well, they do. They, so. you, can, you can fly a cargo plane full of rubber dog shit out of Hong Kong. That was the alternative to <laughs> fucking going the, go the, the <laughs> Top Gun. Mate, what year I've was this? I've watched a few movies too, by the way. What, what year was this, just to give our, our audience a bit of a, an understanding of where they were at the time? Uh, so this when I first was looking at it, year 10, well, year 10 was 9-11, so, so 2001. Okay. Oh. Um, and then was it yeah 2000 yeah 2003 i finished high school so anyway i get to the end of high school and realize i can't become a pilot i'm like oh well army it'll be and and at the same time i realized i, I could get a swiss passport bit of the bit of the backstory in the name we can Please. get to that later yep. as well yep um but i i got my hands on a swiss passport and traveled around europe um playing rugby and drinking piss for for two years and then came back and joined the army and and that was another probably 50% of my military career was travelling Europe, drinking Drink piss, piss, playing rugby. Yeah, you know where to throw, throw a couple of balls around? Uh, I used to, yeah, not so much anymore. The old, <laughs> old body's not really fit for rugby anymore, but I, I was lucky, man. I, I spent half my career training to go overseas and do my job and the other half training to go and play rugby for either Army or, or ASRU. Yeah, gold. Uh, Good on so you. So I've got a, a lot of government-funded piss trips. <laughs> I was able to play Aussie rules at that same level, man, and it's fucking cool, isn't it? You know, it's, oh, yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the best. It's the best. And then that's coming out. I mean, I, I, I was was blessed to kind of be, I was only full-time soldier for a, a, around six years. And um, I kind of hit the, the sweet spot. It was like, as soon as I finished IT, straight overseas on jobs. And and all the, the, the older generation were, were still telling the old glory stories of how they used to go out bush and just play rugby for their entire career. So I kind of got, I was, I was lucky. I got both. I got, I got to do the, the high tempo operational stuff and the, the get out of all the bullshit because you're a rugby player was also my my <laughs> golden ticket. And we're talking legal union, just to be clear, probably union. union. Yeah, union, yeah, that's yeah. the. That's yeah. disappointing. It was, it was uh, <laughs> well, legally, fucking Parramatta legally. Go for it. Two, 2006 and seven, there was, I mean, there wasn't a lot no. of, of league going on in, in the army. No, um, it wasn't until the, when I was getting out that the league team was starting to get few more tours or a few more, few more um, games with different kind of units and, and it was starting to build. Yeah, where'd you go? Um, I sort of missed a little bit. Which corps did you get allocated to? Oh, so when I eventually joined the army, travelled Europe for two years, came back, joined the army. I, I originally applied to do. They just started the uh, direct entry to to uh, four area. Yeah, good. And they they said no to me straight away because I said I was too immature. And they said come back, um, go and do infantry time, and then come back and apply. Which I agree. At the time, I was like, "Fuck you, too immature. You don't even know me." And then that's I look the at whole that reason why they're saying like, that exactly right. I'm like, ah, looking back at it, they were absolutely right based on that response. Um, so I ended up going to to uh, one area and and spent my entire army time up there. Right, uh, so yeah, the whole SFDRS thing. I, I was down at I was down at four hours slash two commando then, and I remember when I sort of first came in. And uh, so you had a cracker that it didn't work, and you sidestepped and went to the big blue one, and sort of that was it. Well, I, did, I, did, I mean, had a crack. All I did was put the paperwork in, and yeah. then the the initial recruiters said no to immature, um, and and yeah. So I, I was like, cool. I, I I all I knew about army was was infantry and yeah. and um, 
War for AR and, and, and Perth, and that was all. That's all that was really exciting. My, I mean, my my goal was to uh, eventually get to Perth, uh, and that was. Um, that, so I, I said, oh, okay, I'm going to go infantry. That's all I wanted to do then. And then they the options I think at the time when I finished Kapuka was Townsville or Darwin, and I was like, nah, nah it's Townsville. Yeah, yeah, good option. C- can I take you back, mate, to to Kapuka? When you rocked up, what were your first impressions of that place? And did they achieve the sense of awe and capture that they were after? Mm. With, with me, absolutely. I, it was a massive culture shock. I, I had spoken to no one. I'd done no research on, on what, what to expect. <laughs> bit, bit like um, this podcast. <laughs> excellent outcome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I kind of, I mean, I, I, I kind of like doing things that way. If I, if I over plan, um, Planning is amazing, but if it's a completely new experience and it's it's something I'm going in to learn, then I don't want to overthink it and overplan it because nine times out of ten you end up psyching yourself out. Yeah. So I, I kind of knew where the, the end state that I wanted to get to, the steps in the middle, I had no idea. And I'm like, this is the army. They're, surely they, they know how to teach me this stuff. So it was massive culture shock. Got off the bus at Kapuka, started getting yelled at. Um, and I was like, ooh, fuck. <laughs> right. serious. And then, yeah. And... and well, I mean, again, looking back at it, I, I, I'm fairly negatively motivated. Like, I, I, I love doing things out of fear of failure, which isn't overly healthy for a lot of people. It works for me. And and as soon as I don't like the military training model anymore of yelling at people until they figure it out, because mm. I don't think it's the quickest way to do things. Me and Kim were actually talking about this just before lunch. But it did work. To get yelled at as soon as I got off the bus, I was like, fuck, i got to be good at this to stop that. Yep. And and that's all I wanted to do then was was become excellent at everything I was doing so that they'd stop yelling. And and it worked. Yes, no, I, I remember my time being an RI down at Kapuka um eventually and um because I just got yelled. This is nineteen ninety before you were probably even born. I, I was doing my bloody basic no, training. I, I go, it's good. And <laughs> and um fucking this is like SLR and green sort of shit. When I back when I went back there in nineteen ninety nine, it was um I thought fuck, let's just like yell yell at fucking recruits all day every day because that's that's what happened to me. <laughs> Three days in, I couldn't fucking talk. I'm like, I had to find a new way to get to try and motivate the recruits yeah. to do something because yelling at people wasn't going to work either. Yeah. And I'm fascinated by the whole leadership space, like you know. Being in the military, wear your rank on your sleeve. You, you know, you got the fear of the DFDA. If you tell your boss to get fucked, then you're in jail the next day, sort of thing. Like that does shit doesn't work in the real world. It doesn't exist in yeah. the real world. Um, nah. Certainly, you can be bloody frog marched out of somewhere, but you're not going to go to jail. So, how do you really connect and inspire and give people that sense of purpose and autonomy to make sure that they are valued and they're respected and effective? They come in here and just you know work their ass off for the not for me as the individual, the owner of the firm, but for the reason why the business exists. And I really want to delve into your leadership style about how you created a bloody a group and a network of amazing individuals that are solely pointed towards the reason why Swiss Eight was was established and what why you guys do do what you do so we'll talk about mm-hmm. that down the track so yeah have you been well, fascinated by the leadership styles as, as as you have evolved over the years as well i mean yeah i, I we we get approached i mean a lot, a lot of what we're doing in the proactive mental health space our, our primary focus is creating tools and, and interventions that work for boys and girls that need them um but we do i mean we we got to find uh kind of guerrilla tactics to go and get money as well because because kind of Squeezing money out of companies and government these days is, is almost impossible. And we do get hit up to, to go and do leadership style talks every now and then. And to be honest, I, I try and leave leadership coaching to people who that is their specialty. It is slightly different. But a lot of um a lot of the, the the research and a lot of what we promote around the mental health space requires you to first understand the anthropology of how human brains have evolved and 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 talking about tribe and connection to tribes is a huge part of what we do. Yeah. 
and and breaking that down does kind of peel the layers back on on some leadership strategy both at, at a localized level and then um nationally and, and internationally the way the world society in, in itself is kind of adopting what i believe is the the wrong leadership model and and the the root of that comes from i in our philosophy there's two types of leadership there's leadership that's that's driven by fear and there's leadership that's driven by trust and and trust essentially is is leadership led by love so it's love versus fear they're the mm-hmm. two options and and the ultimate or the, the best form of leadership in my mind is is one where the the tribe and the tribe leader have a two-way flow of love slash trust um and that requires that everyone in that kind of tribal group looks out for each other's best interests. Mm. Whereas the model that we're seeing, the military model, the model that society's adopted is fear. And that is, I will control everyone by making them so scared that they have to come to me for safety and protection versus they will come to me because they want safety and protection. That is what our tribe built on. The fear model just doesn't work long term. It's, it's great for scaring people into your, your community or scaring people to do what they're told. Doesn't work long term. Mate, you're obviously a super self-aware kind of guy, and and that develops with maturity and that sort of stuff. Was this was this the kind of were you inspired by leadership in defence initially, and then sort of moved away from that, or is, is this something that you kind of as, as as soon as you got in the in the big green machine, you kind of went, this is not the leadership for me, and it's not necessarily going to get the best out of me for, over the long term. Like, how did that work for you, mate? Um, I I mean. I, I always thought people. I, I originally, when I first joined, I thought everyone was like me, and everyone just wanted to do cool shit and and kind of hang out with the boys and, and become the yeah. person that you wanted to become. But then I've I've run into people and like no, who said no, I joined the military because I wanted to learn to be a great leader. That never, that was never a motivator for me. I, I think along the way, I to begin with, I wanted to be great at my job, and then I, I have. I would some people would say an unfortunate ability to to not put up with bad. SOPs. Yep. And if I see people doing things a, a fucking terrible way, or I'm like, if, if you don't explain the why behind a process and, and the why doesn't make sense, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, obviously, when I was young, soldier, I, I just did what I was told, but I question everything. And that that's kind of what moved me to a position where I'm like, I'm looking at the way the military's leadership models built and the way it's 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 impacting people from the bottom and i'm like this model doesn't make sense it ne- mm. needs to be changed and that's i mean I, there's nothing i've done that would do i don't think at this stage could ever change the military leadership <laughs> model but hopefully over time we can get noisy enough yeah. but it is it is something like just observing the the human impact on on a leadership hierarchy uh is, is kind of what was a big driver behind what we're doing and and we understand now that it, it does fuck with your mental health if you're following a fear-based leadership model yeah. yeah, I've always known the saying that um, trust is the glue that binds leaders and followers together, but I haven't heard the whole trust and love interaction before, and I'm like, oh, that's a fucking belter. It makes so sense. So unless you put bloody copyright on that, bro, I'm going to use that down the track. <laughs> nah, Drew, man. Like, honestly, on, on that topic, I mean, this is this is way off track, and I won't go down this rabbit hole. There's no track, There's, not, there's not really a lot of IP that we've, we've – I, I, myself and the boys that work with us, I am very proud to say that most of the shit that we come up with is fairly unique, and it's not – it's not brand new ideas. Like everything that we go to over the last five years, I've realized half the shit that we're teaching was in a religious textbook somewhere from thousands of years ago. No, we're not reinventing the wheel here. We're just putting it together in a way that makes sense to knuckle-dragging blue-collar dudes. Um, but along the way, you've probably seen it in the news, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, defense has tried to rip off ideas. So is RSL Queensland. So is RSL New South Wales. Mm. We've got to the point now where we had a bit of a win for a couple of weeks, but we, we our IP is out there for people to use. 
repackage it. Re- as long as it's going to someone who it's going to help, it's then go fucking yeah. nuts. Yeah. And these ideas, like I said, it's, I, I don't think that humans are overly capable of original ideas. We're just mashing together life experience and putting it out in a way that someone hasn't done it before. So, yeah, go nuts. Yeah, love it. Um, did you spend the majority of your career up in Townsville then? Yeah, so uh, I, I spent six years in Townsville. Um, did a couple of trips, came back and was about to go to Perth to do selection and my sister died. So my sister had got cancer and died pretty quickly. Okay. Uh, and at the time, 24, I think it was, 24, 25, my, my coping strategy, like every young knuckle dragon soldier was, I'm just going to train really hard and forget about everything else yep. and jam those emotions down yep. real deep. Um, and got to Perth and for the first 10 days it worked. Like I was fit as fuck and I was I, the first 10 days were, were fine as soon as I was in the isolation phase like um happy wanderer I went to water and all I could think about and this is one thing I didn't realize back then I was like I did no mental training for for selection I spoke to the boys that were over there I, I learned what was uh, I, I was about to go up against I was like I'm good 24 hours into not speaking to another human and all I could think about I was just getting guilty going my family's at home grieving and I'm here doing my own thing chasing dreams I'm like whether or not as a that was also like put on the, as an excuse for a young guy going this is really hard there's a there's a path of least resistance but yeah the, the mental side of it fucking buckled me but yeah to answer your question i did six years in townsville in one area i went to um do selection in perth off that selection course i instantly put in a compassionate posting to go to newcastle for a year do the the family thing my unit, I'd been back from Afghan for just over a year, so my unit and CEO was amazing. They signed me off straight away, said, get to Newcastle, go. Three months later, I'm in Newcastle doing fuck all at a reserve unit. <laughs> Got an email from Schema or Camera going, uh, your application's officially been denied. Go back to Townsville in two days. Oh. And so I was like, no, I'm not going to. And my, my RSM rang me. He's like, mate, what do you want to do? You've either got to fly up here or get out. And I'm like, get me out. I'm yep. not coming back. Wow. And that was it. I, I was out in a day. So that... I guess when when I put it that way, it kind of explains that where where my that was my first point where I started realizing not having a transition process out of the military is a huge problem because I was in one day and out the next with no. I signed some paperwork and that was it. Yeah, I call it the it's a vulgar term, but you might have heard me talk about the guillotine of your mm. came down on your military career and like fuck, what do you do then? Like I remember Luke when I was training you at Duntree, I'm like, what do you do now, platoon commander? And that was you know real time. There's shit that's just occurred. Think on your feet, come up with a solution, brief your team, fucking crack on. And mm. and certainly um, some of the skills and the uh, experiences that the military put us through would have assisted you during that period. And my, my military career came to an end very, you know, very quickly as well. So I know exactly how you were feeling. It wasn't just it wasn't just a matter of days, but certainly once the once the the, the flag went up, you know, you're out within a week. Yeah. Um, you don't have a house. You don't have nothing to go to. So I know exactly how that how that feels. Um, yeah. Tell us no, what I mean, you were going through during that period. Then, like resentment, anger, betrayal, fucking you name it. I mean, that they, they're my words. But tell tell me your story. I mean, now that I look, I, I still get a bit of that now. So so when I tell this story, I do, and especially in front of people who need like the JTA and people who need to understand the actual need for transition training and to give people the skills because, like you said. I had a lot of resilience kind of tools in my kit, but I didn't know when and where to use them mm. at, in that in that circumstance. Uh, and, and realistically, Army teaches you if you have emotion, it doesn't teach you anything other than weaponizing hate and anger, and, and that's where it comes from. Like it, it felt like exile. It wasn't it wasn't leaving the military. It was being exiled. It's like give your ID back, give your uniform back. All your tribe, the people you love and trust that are, that have got your back are over this side of the fence. 
now fuck off over that side and you're not one of us anymore. And that was kind of it. And at the time, I was more focused on getting the family and sorting out the, the, the grieving process about my sister than I was worrying about hating the army. So I didn't really have any negative feeling towards the army. I was just glad that they got me discharged quickly. Within six months, I started to realise, oh, I think I, that was that was a, not a great idea. Um, and over time, I mean, I, I, I jumped straight into starting businesses and, and doing other stuff to keep myself distracted. But I was. I was on autopilot for about six years. Mm. And, and that, that that's where we look at now going without a, a structured, what I call a rite of passage, to train people on what tools they're going to need, what skills they're going to need to transition back from soldier to civilian, you you don't you, you're stuck in limbo you're not a soldier anymore you're not a civilian anymore you're in limbo and and i was walking through life in limbo on autopilot for about six years yeah mate. And then, uh, i was it that that resonates so strongly with me mate like i i did a podcast recently where we sat down and talked about my transition period and and leaving and as a commander i i still hold a sense of guilt over transitioning people out particularly in the medical sense whereby i made the unfair assumption that the offboarding process and the education and training and preparation for people to transition was there in the same way that the onboarding process is there because like you've identified mate that thing is wide tight like to get somebody you know inculcated into the culture to get them in inculcated into what's required for their fitness standards and you know that that hard body type approach to life that's all there and we've done that so well over an elongated period but as you know as far as i'm aware and i'm tracking we're still struggling we the defense community the defense force is still very much struggling in identifying a way to be able to transition people out because it's much more of a unique type of arrangement that needs to be put in place like individuals have unique requirements to be able to transition in a healthy way and at the moment it seems like there's still like a you know there's still kind of a community response a senior leadership community response where they talk they are talking a good talk to be able to transition people but when it comes to putting actions in you know putting plans into action it's still lacking from from my understanding uh, you're absolutely right mate so and i i've, I've the the politicians are going to hate me talking to you boys, but I, I've been blessed enough to to get eyes behind the curtain the whole process when they first. So we started Swiss Eight because one of my best mates, Jesse Bird, killed himself. It was off the Bird inquiry that that deviate. And, and to be fair to Jesse, he kind of martyred himself in a way that when he hung himself, he put all of his DVA paperwork around him. It was deliberate. It was like, yeah, pay attention, wow. motherfuckers, something needs to change. Uh, and it, it kind of worked. I mean, that was the, the one of the first catalysts, the bird inquiry that, that triggered the need for a JTA, showing that you've got DVA on one side and, and defence on the other. And let's be honest, they're just political portfolios. Mm. That's the way they're structured. Yep. And they don't talk to each other, just the same way the health department doesn't talk to roads and transport. And so you guys need to start talking because there's a big gap here, and that's where people are falling through the cracks when they leave. And it, un unfortunately, like they, it did look good on paper over the last five years. The the ideas, the recommendations they put forward was build a JTA, focus on transition. The unfortunate part is they don't pay enough attention to the human intelligence coming from the ground up. Now, in the military, every commander knows that your best asset for intelligence is the guys on the ground yep. passing information up the chain. When we get to the DVA level, it's like, all right, Poli top down politician needs a solution or he's not getting re-elected what's he going to do he goes to as we know in the news right now goes to either a general or the big four because we have no idea how to fix this give us some consulting and they consult on what boxes government needs to tick not what soldiers need solving on the way out yeah. and 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 like you said it, it can't be a, a textbook solution it's got to be unique or bespoke to each individual 
and that's the, all of this stuff is, is where we built our our kind of courses and our or the app and everything from a, a position of we did our own research. We we didn't want to read everything in in 2018 when we started. This was all PDSD, 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 and I'm like. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. Not convinced. If, if I look at it and go, that doesn't work for me. Maybe it does for everyone else. But if it doesn't make sense for me, and I personally fit in what's supposed to be the highest risk demographic for for suicide and PTSD, then what what else could be going on? Let's at least ask the question. And and I guess that was where our journey started. We we did a, a bit of research. We got a great research partnership with Newcastle Uni. Did a bit of research with the tip of the spear, the, the highest risk demographic, and that was male veterans 30 to age 30 to 50 um from combat corps had been to warlike uh, or, or war zone deployments and had transitioned within the last 10 years experiencing mental health decline so you had to tick all those you boxes just before you me. Became... Yeah. Well, exactly right <laughs> and and we we asked a bunch of questions we're trying to get our own information because all of the research was coming from america all of the politicians, the consultants, and, and and all of the big organizations like RSL were pumping millions into products that were based off American research. And at the time, uh, Australian PTSD rates were 25%. So 25% of everyone who's been in the military was getting diagnosed with PTSD. The Marines in the Battle of Fallujah, their PTSD rate was 13.5%. And that's the bloodiest battle the Americans saw in the last 25 years. So how the fuck has Australia got a higher PTSD rate than those guys? It didn't make sense. And we asked that simple question in this in this research piece, like what was called what has caused your mental health decline? And the answers that came back were I've lost my identity, I've lost connection to my tribe, I don't have a routine anymore, and I've got no purpose in life. And I'm like, cool, that's the four. We're gonna build our entire product intervention model around solving those four. Lesson and that was they were all so you get multiple answers you could you could select or you could put in as many answers as you want. Less than 6% said they had a traumatic event while in the military that caused their, their mental health decline. So anyway, tying it all the way back to your, your original point was we, we've now built this training model that is essentially designed to help people transition. And and thankfully, along the way, we figured these, these are human problems. Connection mm-hmm. to tribe, purpose in life, who you are and your identity and, and a healthy habit-based routine, that's that's the fundamentals of, of human health and well-being. So... If we transition, and, and 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 again, this is the piece that I would love for all the fucking psychs out there that are consulting for the big four to understand. We we take three months minimum to take to transition a civilian into a soldier, sailor, airman, whatever you want to call it. Our recruitment propaganda or, or marketing is directed at people who are adolescents who don't know who they are, who don't have purpose in life, who aren't sure what their tribe's going to be and have got no structure in their life. So we know for a fact that when we recruit, we're, we're pitching towards people who don't have those things. And basic training gives you all of them. Yep. Gives you a new identity, your new values, your purpose in life, you're part of something bigger, surround yourself with people you love and trust, and it gives you a structured routine. So we then, and then we do that for three months, which is a rite of passage. You train them on the new skills, give them a new identity, and now welcome them into their, their, their team, their unit, whatever. On the way out, we have to do the same thing. Because all, all we're seeing is, no matter what branch you're in, if you identify, if who you are, you look in the mirror and you go, I am a soldier, I am a sailor, I am an airman, which we all do because that's who we become. It's everything about our life. Because, um, I mean, the way we frame it, purpose, routine and tribe form your identity. And so the military is our identity. If we know that on the way in, we have to replicate that on the way out. We need a three-month training course where you are not – decommissioning all of your military training like you want that resilience we have to retrain people to find identity purpose tribe and routine as a civilian Mm -hmm. and that 
that that is a, a framework that you then make bespoke for every individual. So you find your own tribe will help you figure out how. you got to rebuild your own identity. Here's some tools to figure out how. Um, routine, purpose, all that stuff. It's like that's the framework. But what goes into each of those pillars is, is unique to you as an individual. And, I mean, I don't know. You boys have probably got better networks than I do. If, if, if anyone wants to take that and steal it and give it to the big four, I don't give a fuck as long as it gets to the JTA and they start teaching the boys and girls that kind of stuff on the way out. Preferably mm. if you want to use, use our products because we've already built them. But Yeah, mate, <laughs> fucking hell. Like it's so, so true. Like there is no one to a T that would disagree with one letter that you just said. Like it's, it's fucking tough, man. When you like – and look, we – we got a, a, um, a client at the moment who's recently got out, 34 years in the military he did. I did 24. I got out 10 years ago. If I was still in, I'd be in my 34th year as well. And bravo to all those guys and girls that I joined with back in the day and went to Kapuka with. When it, like some of them are still serving and they're all fucking, you know, brigadiers and or class C fucking warrant officers, et cetera, et cetera. But Jesus, if I found a tough hard to separate after 24 years, imagine another 10 years of inculcation at, at that level mm -hmm. to try and unwind and like, you know, get it done. So it's no wonder people get grumpy and like, you know, when that, when you, when you, and generally you're wearing a pretty high rank by then, like mm. it's unusual to be a fucking 34 year old corporal or digger, right? 34 year service, I mean, um, you know, so. And, you know, when things are not going well for you at work, you rant and you rave and you fucking bang your fists and then shit gets fixed for you. Doesn't work like that in the real world. No. Doesn't fucking matter how many shitty fucking shirty emails you send. Fucking people don't jump to you anymore because you're just a fucking civilian. Yep. So it's a real, real crazy, you know, d dilemma that people find themselves in. And that, that amplifies the problem even worse. You, you spent 30 years of your life with this identity that when I bark, everybody jumps. And then you you don't you fail to transition out, so you use the same tools and tactics, and no one responds. You go home, look in the mirror, and go, "I have no tools to deal with life anymore. Yep. I'm fucking depressed." And and that's kind of, I mean, in, in a nutshell, depression is is lack of options subconsciously, and that's that's what we're we're forcing people to experience. We're going, you've got all this amazing training, but we're not linking the tools in your kit to the the appropriate response in in your next life. Therefore, you feel overwhelmed that you have no tools. I'm depressed. I, I don't want to get out of bed in the morning. And yeah, that's, that's a fairly simple thing to solve. It's just realigning our, our tools. Mm. Give us, give our audience a, list, uh, a, a bit of an understanding about the structure of Swiss 8, like how many, how many team members are in there and, and sort of what are the tools that you're using on a day-to-day -day basis to develop and, and sort of market yourselves. And that Could thing. I ask a question oh, that goes back please. up the chain a little bit more? I absolutely want to know the answer to that, but is it, just you that started it and tell us about the name and everything. Yeah. Like, like, take us back to the start and then we can absolutely evolve what Luke just said, please. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to take credit for all of it. There's there's a lot of boys that have helped um, throw ideas around. But when, when it first started, my like I said, Birdie uh, killed himself. Uh, and just, just for the listeners out there, if everyone's going, oh, it's supposed to be died by suicide, I'm fucked that. There's, there's 101 <laughs> different ways they tell yeah. us how to talk. And I'm like, my mate killed himself. That's yeah. that's the end of the story. Yeah. Um, so Birdie, Birdie killed himself and I was like, all right. At, at the time, I just sold my last second company and I was uh, probably the worst thing I could have done was like, all right, I'm going to do nothing for a little bit. I had a young kid uh, and that was that was kind of the start of my mental health roller coaster. It's like, don't don't ever let yourself become sedentary, whether physically or mentally. You've got to keep moving forward in some way. But anyway, Birdie, Birdie kills himself. I'm like, fuck, I've got a lot of spare time. And I'd been building this concept of like, I, th I think – there's some tools here we can teach some of the boys to to help transition. 
Uh, we've been slow. I've been slow building that and discussing it with a few of the boys over a year or so as a background hobby. Like, well, we'll get to it one day. It's just something we're jotting down. And then Birdie kills himself. I'm like, no, no, this is, I've got the time. I've got the energy. I, well, this is a problem I, I need to kind of dedicate myself to solving. Um, so I, I did uh, register the, the, the organization, started building the app, the, the original tool model. Uh, myself but with consultation with all of my mates and then once we launched it and got it ready to go a, a couple of boys came in and became like full-time volunteers uh and then it's evolved up and down over time we've uh through covid we we got a lot of money from some big companies bhp got behind us which is amazing great unfortunately we found out long term that they were more just dumping cash for to keep us alive through covid which we love and appreciate um, but there was no real long-term plan for them to ever support a veteran charity, charity which, again, I appreciate. It, it helped us survive through COVID. Um, but that meant we could bring a few more people on. And then being a charity, if, if budget starts to drop, we people unfortunately have to leave. But we, the way Swiss Age structured is it, it's a tech startup. It just happens to be a mental health charity. We build mental health training and tools um, digitally focused. But our organisational structure is that of a tech startup. And what that allows us to do is run extremely lean. So I, I'm lucky I don't need to get paid. Um, Kieran and, and my brother are the only other two people in the full-time team right now. And then we've got about 15 of the boys who just drop in and volunteer whenever they, they need to. Um, but, yeah, so my, my brother's a software engineer. Um, he'll love me telling people. He's, I reckon he's on the spectrum. He's pretty autistic. <laughs> Never diagnosed, but that's that's just who he is. He, and, and that's what we need. He's so logical. I was going to say, it's perfect. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. There's no, there's, and and I, I, when we're going back and forward in in kind of business planning discussions, being a mental health organisation means we do need emotional intelligence involved in that, and that's yeah. why it's great to have care, people like Kieran here. But at the same time, when we're building software, I'm like, you get that tech. emotion out of it. I need, I need binary black and white. We're yeah. building exactly, um, and and I guess that's where the the position we're in now. We've got Swiss Eight the charity, and then we've. Uh, before Swiss 8, I had a tech company with my brother and ex-wife. Um, it was originally called Drill Digital, and then we brought them both together, and it's, it's SA Digital now. But that does its own thing, and that that keeps the charity alive, essentially. If, if we don't get enough donations and money, the, the, the tech company will keep it supported. Um, but we, we're we out of – I guess that it's a three-man team, and we do sometimes look a lot bigger from the outside looking in. Uh, we're very lucky. That autistic brother of mine's amazing with, with AI, so – um, we're building the entire model so that we can hire veterans if we can afford it, but if we can't, AI will run the whole company. Uh, and, and obviously, that's that's where we're heading with the app as well. We're we're in on a three year runway to build a predictive mental health tool. Uh, so the app will eventually, using AI, will will monitor your lifestyle patterns and behavior uh, patterns and behaviors and predict anxiety and depression before it shows symptoms, so that you can course correct your life. And your, your health and well-being before it becomes a problem. Because yeah. uh, that's our whole. Go for it, please. Finish sorry. off. Yeah, go. I was just going to say that that's been our model from day one. It's like I, I, the first problem I saw when Birdie killed himself was this entire mental health care model in the Western world, veterans and and everyday humans. It's all reactive. Yep. It's realize you've got a problem, put your hand up and tell us you've got a problem. Come forward, we'll get a psych, and then it's talk therapy. So self-diagnosis, self-identification, then talk therapy. That was the only model. Dudes don't want to present with a problem. Dudes don't want to admit they've got a problem. Dudes definitely don't want talk therapy as their primary treatment model. And I mean, this this works for women as well, but predominantly they were the barriers for men. And that that the final thing before I shut up that that was the 
This the is your, your podcast, brother. Yeah, I'm loving this. Please, <laughs> please continue. The biggest, the biggest hurdle. I mean, in in tech, everything in tech is about disruption. It's like find a problem that no one else, a barrier that no one else can overcome, overcome it, or go around it, and then you'll have a product worth um, selling. Everyone in the Western world is trying to encourage men to talk more, cry more, be more feminine, be more emotional. It doesn't fucking work, right? It might for some. I'm not saying it's a, a broad brush for all men. The majority, we, we just aren't understanding men. Same problem with DVA. You're not listening from the ground up. It's like men don't want to talk. Men don't want talk therapy. They don't want to be told to cry more. They want action. And they want to be able to do it in a way where they don't have to admit to everyone that they're they're bleeding or they're showing signs of weakness. So that was that was the model. Get a, Make a proactive intervention. Make it so that you don't have to tell all your mates you got a drama and that there's interventions in place that can get your mental health and well-being heading in a positive direction, then you may be ready to talk. You may be ready to go and see a psych. And don't get me wrong, like where anyone who comes to us with an acute problem, they are getting redirected to a psych instantly. Yeah. But there's a 50-50 chance they don't go, right? So why not give them tools that they can use day to day? Go to the gym, get in an ice bath, do some breath work, whatever it might be. Give them some tools that could save their life while they're waiting for a cycle before they go and see a cycle. Yeah. Mate. All those things you just described then, can I say, probably saved your bacon. Loop. Yeah, man. Yeah. Literally the journey that I went on through through transition and, and the rough and tumble of, of getting out of defence, they were what exactly that you just spoke about, mate, were the things that I had to hook myself to to get myself to a point of balance where before, you know, I, I it's resonating so strongly with me, mate, and probably because it's a pretty recent story too. But, you know, I, I tried the talk therapy and I put my hand up and said, fuck, I need a hand and, you know, went and sat down with a psych and I felt like I was banging my head against the wall and, and you know, like like mo most blokes probably do. I mean, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I felt like I, there was no, not even a step forward. It just felt like continually, I'm just dragging out raw emotions without a resolution to those raw emotions. Um, and so it wasn't until I had to go on that journey of discovery um, of things like ice baths, breath work, controlling alcohol intake, exercise, diet, you know, routine, all of those things that you're talking about, they were the things that put pillar, you know, put structural support back in my life for me to be a healthy, balanced human being. And I'm not perfect. Fuck, I'm still a bit of a mess in some areas. I'm sure people will know. But, you know, it's it, it's just resonating so strongly with me, mate, what mm -hmm. those those talking points that you're going through now. And if, you know, if anybody listening, you know, our, our audience out there, please take a look at this app, app you know, the app that they've got it got in place here. And it, I, I promise you this shit works. It sounds mm. a bit fluffy to sit there and go, you know, say to people, go through breath work, go, you know, go to a yoga class, go and jump in an ice bath, jump in a sauna. It sounds like it's all fluff and, you know, and not much substance. Just fucking try it. What have you got to you, lose? You are living exhibit A. Yeah. I'm telling you. Exactly. I saw the before and after and yeah. I, you know, I now get to rejoice in the amazing fucking human. You are already pretty fucking good. But now you're on neck level, which is amazing. <laughs> that's great. And, 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 I mean, that's where it stems from, two things. One, one. I mean, mental health and, and physical health, they are chicken and egg. They go. They are yep. intertwined. Yep. And and what, what um, impacts the other? Well, no one knows. It, it's both, right? So, if like I was saying, if you're physically sedentary, mentally you're going to be sedentary and you're going you're gonna to have some dramas and vice versa. If you're mentally sedentary, you, you, you're not going to be motivated to go to the gym. So that And that's the starting point. It's like, all right, how do I give someone a nudge? Because they'll build up perpetual momentum. Mm -hmm once they, they get a nudge but no one everyone's scared shitless to, to encourage people to go to the gym to improve their mental health they're like oh i'm not a psych i don't have the background i'm not allowed to do it and and 
That's uh, I, it's it's it is bullshit. There's been research since the seventies. We've got peer reviewed papers that show that exercise reduces anxiety and and depression, or Im- improves markers for anxiety and depression. Um, same with breath work now. Same with cold uh, shock protein. Same. I'm sauna not. I'm not that well versed on on sauna data, but nutrition heaps of data yeah. showing that inflammatory foods cause depression. It's like. You don't need to be a site to recommend this shit to people. Don't advise it. Don't don't preach it like you're you're an expert. But I I try and give all the boys the confidence to go. If a mate rings you and you don't have the tools to have a mental health conversation, but they ring you and they're in a fucking pickle, get them in a cold shower and get them to the gym. And then straight after that, start encouraging them to go and see a cycle or, or go down a professional pathway. But they are tools that work, and and they're not. There's no harm that can come from them. No. But you you telling your mate to go and do some fucking push-ups, there is no harm that can come from it. <laughs> it's one of those things, mate, where it's you know you've got everything to gain by giving it that shot. You just need to you know maybe tuck your pride away a little bit when you're looking at some of those alternative approaches to things that we know work, but aren't necessarily you know in the midst of conversations around around. You know, that the defence fear in particular, because like you said before, defence is predominantly around controlled aggression and that utilisation mm. of controlled aggression. But there's, you know, we are a, a body of so many other emotions that go into who we are that aren't discussed th- throughout our entire career or you're all during that transition process. And um, that's that's what yeah. needs to be in this transition. Like I said, three months would be amazing transitioning out, but it's, you're not dealing with 18-year-old kids anymore. At a minimum, they're going to be around the 22 mark. Yeah, I know people leave earlier, but you, you you should be able to have a bit of an EQ conversation with people and train them going, hey, these, this is how emotions work. A bit of neuro, neuroscience would be nice to, to see that in there as well and then go, if this pops up, this is how you, you deal with it. Yeah. Another living example was you had a mate come and visit you recently yep. who's transitioned, yep. and you're like, hey, let me just take you down and show you what I went through. Yep. He didn't want a bar of it. Not didn't want a bar of it, mate. Like he, 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 yeah, he's going through. He is going through the rough end tumble. Like he's in, he's up and you know, up and down, mostly down. Um, and again, I attribute it back to to trying to use those tools in his tool belt that he knows so well that aren't necessarily effective for what he's trying to achieve on the outside. Like biting down on a chunk of hose and charging through something is not the way that we get a resolution, you know, through life. And certainly when it's, you know, when it's, we're talking the space of mental health, it's, you know, it's not necessarily going to give you what you want to get out of it. If it's just like, fuck it, I'll just keep working harder. I'll keep trying to fix this or solve it or overcome that issue and, and not, not, identify or not have for him identified uh, different options available to be able to resolve those issues or treat some of those emotions that he's going through whilst in the position or whilst putting himself in a better position so you know building that momentum that you referred to before you know because some, sometimes it is tough mate like you you talk about building momentum there are bumps along that road of momentum too mm. um, and if you don't have those tools or those alternate alternative options for you you know it, it can be fairly easily derailed particularly when you start talking about substance abuse with you know things like mental health as well Hundred percent. Is are you guys um, down the accreditation path from a DVA perspective? Like, tell tell us about how. What's the future for Swiss Eight? Like, how does that all like Um, wave a magic wand, Adrian? Go right. Tell me about the next five years, mate. Because an observation of mine is, mate, what you've built and who you are and why you exist and the uh, the assistance you're delivering is extremely impactful. Please tell me, someone at the strategic level is recognizing this, and you got right. No, fuck. no, no. So the last couple of weeks, and it's not something I like to do, uh, but we we essentially have gone to war with with government and and RSL over the last 
four or five weeks. Um, and that, it, like I said, it's not something I like doing ever because I don't. If, if we just get on social media and whinge about the problem, it actually makes some of the lads out there more depressed. And they're like, of course, because the and it did for me in the last few months as well. It's like it, as soon as you believe you go on, on social media and all you see is all the ESOs and all the veterans whinging, you're like, fuck the minister, fuck the EVA, fuck the RSL. Then you're like, oh, cool, that was part of my identity, and now they've turned their back on me. Therefore, I am lost, isolated, and alone, instantly depressed yep. and grumpy. So I've never wanted to go down that path, and we've always. Um, tried to to just tell positive stories, but a few things got to a boiling point in the last month or two that that gave me the shits enough to go. The the public needs to see what's going on here. So, I've, like I said, I've been pretty lucky. When we first um, launched Swiss Eight, uh, Phil Thompson, he's the MP for Townsville. He was a, a mate that I served with overseas, and so he opened a few doors, got us a bit of access. The original plan was we were going to do to launch the charity. We we're going to do what was called the Swiss Eight Stomp, walk around Australia with six blokes between Remembrance Day and Anzac Day, or vice versa. Um, and ev- we went to Canberra. Every politician in every electorate was like, oh, media, media, I'm going to get involved in that. And they wanted to walk with us. So it was going to be the biggest thing ever. And then six days before we stepped off, the border shut and COVID kind of showed its face in Australia. So mm. that that never happened. But because of that initial exposure, we we got FaceTime with a lot of the politicians. And that that um, Chester was the, the DVA minister at the time. That meant we had a, a pretty good understanding of how Canberra works, how the politicians, what information they needed to make decisions. Uh, and at the same time, they they asked me to go on the National Advisory Committee to open arms. So that was another peek behind the curtain, good access and, and understanding. The whole way, uh, they, they were dangling this carrot going, we've seen what you've built. Go and get university study to prove it works. So we did that. And I went to Newcastle Uni. They got a, a, a veteran who was a PhD site candidate, did a, uh, an 18-month study uh, on veterans using the Swiss, what was back then was called the Swiss Aid app. Uh, and it returned 100% improved, like results, not 100% improved, but every candidate in the study had uh, reduction in psychological distress over eight weeks of using it. Of course. Took took that back to camera. And like, oh, yeah, no, just give us a bit more time and then we'll, then we'll look at funding options. And then they dangle some more carrots. And at the same time, this is when Deloitte got given all of our IP and said, can you go and build an app for defence? Here's two million bucks. And I'm like, we only needed 10% of that. But anyway, that's a that's a win for another day. Um, so that was our, our original model was structured properly like a charity. We, we build tools. We give them to veterans for free. We, we take either government grants or donations to help fund it. Then over, like, like I said, over the last three or four years, we've tried to work with, uh, I've spent three years embedded with RSL New South Wales, trying to get them to become more relevant, to to learn how to deal with younger veterans. And they're the same. They are just all squeezed. They're, they're, they're all take no give. And they originally, they didn't want to milk ideas because they didn't have the, the capability to rebuild them anyway, but they needed members. So they got myself and, and a couple of the other guys at Coogee. So I'm part of the Coogee sub-branch, but do not get along with RSL New South Wales headquarters. They looked at the Coogee model and started promoting. Like We got 100 new members into the RSL in, in the first year, and RSL New South Wales starts promoting all the success that RSL is having. I'm like, hey, can we get a bit of love back because we got some stuff that we want to do in Coogee? It's always no. Um, and, and then long, long story short, the end of our relationship, it's still in the decline with RSL Queensland, was the same thing. They, they looked at... PTSD for 10, 15 years. They they spent six million, no, fourteen million dollars over six years uh, with the Gallipoli Medical Research Foundation in Queensland researching PTSD. 
in 2022, I got invited to go up there and give a talk, and I gave the whole talk on rites of passage and tribe routine identity and purpose. Next month, I get a phone call going, hey, we've got a partnership program. We'll, we'll give you some funding to run a pilot. So we did, and their partnership team came down. They sat in and they watched the whole pilot. Three months later, they've created their own tribe routine identity purpose model. And it's like, sorry, no more funding for you guys. I'm like, cool. Anyway, point of the story. We, we've tried the traditional charitable model. And now I'm like, I, I don't have the energy or the patience to to deal with bureaucracy anymore because that's that's realistic. And I, I, I'd love to see the RSL change and become relevant again. But right now, they are just like cradling the balls of politicians. That's all they want to do. Politicians don't know what the problem is, but they'll create a box and go, we think it might be that. RSL will shift gears and go, I'm just doing that. Please the politicians. Who misses out? Veterans. So we've, we've now pivoted the model completely to go, We've got our primary product is recalibrate brand Bob naming separated it from the the charity make it more, more understandable but there's a recalibrate fundamentals training course which is your educational mental health proactive kind of mental health and well-being education it's a one day course and then there's the <clears throat> recalibrate app which you can use forever it's habit building habit tracking get your lifestyle and routine back on track and then there's this community kind of tribe connection forum we sell that to the public which funds keeping it free for veterans forever. Good, so, good. So that's that's our model going forward. We, I, I, I'm sick of overlords. I'm sick of people telling us to go, we, we'll give you money, but you've got to change direction. I'm like, no, 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 no. Our, our target demographic's over here. Yeah. And I guess the big the, the big um, benefit we've had is we, we, we're lucky enough to have a lot of mates that are now professional sports people, cops, fire examiners, whatever it might be. What we found was, like I said before, tribe routine identity and purpose, they're not veteran problems. They're, no, they're human yeah. They're human factors that need to be addressed. The military gives you them, then takes them away. That's why it becomes a veteran problem. For athletes, exactly the same thing. Their footy team was their tribe. It was their routine. That was their training. That was their identity. I am uh, a Sydney Swan, whatever it might be. I'll use that example. But then when they leave, they're like, I've lost all that stuff. So this product becomes relevant. Everyday humans, anyone transitioning their identity that, that that needs to learn the new tools and become a new version of themselves, whether it be just becoming more confident, these tools are there and they work. And so, so we sell them to the public pretty cheap for what they are, and then that that funds the charity to keep it free for veterans. Mm, it was a question I had, and I've got my commercial hat on here. Like, we don't, we're not, not a charity. We're a proper commercial organisation. Like, I guess when people pay money for things, they see them as more valuable. And sure, if you give someone an app and they, they've they got it for free, they're not going to fucking use it. But if they're paying 100%. 15 bucks a month, whatever it is for that app, they're going to open the fucking thing every day. So I just, I, I was, I, I don't know whether it was an off-camera conversation or not, but, you know, I was just interested in your business model whereby I'm like, there was no fucking way Axon was ever going to be a charity. We're a proper mm. business where there's an exchange, a fair exchange of value that goes on and people get outcomes. And then obviously there's a there's a business here where there's 15 other people that get to, you know, have, have an income and put, you know, food on the table and, and then contribute back to the Defence Force as well. And and that's that's the model that we're. I mean, it is two separate organisations working kind of um, in unison now. But that that is our model. The the we made it a charity originally because when I, I it was just an app to start with. And and normally in the the tech kind of accelerator world, tech accelerators and investors don't give a shit about charities. They're only looking to run you through a tech accelerator if they can invest in your company for profit at the end of it. Correct. Uh, and so I applied for hundreds of them and got a hundred no's. And then I finally, luckily, got one uh, clubs New South Wales, the governing body for the clubs in New South Wales, leagues clubs, bowling clubs, RSL clubs. The governing body was funding a tech accelerator, and because they've got the grants program, thirty percent of the companies had to be not for profits. 
And so 300 companies apply. We got picked up and, and, and we got down to the last five or six. And given that their entire investor audience was all CEOs of RSL clubs and leagues clubs, we fucking killed it because we had a purpose. I was going to say, message. please tell yeah. me you got three. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, they, they love us. And we, we've been very lucky. And they, they kind of got behind everything we're doing. But um, the big the big difference was going through that whole accelerator. You've got it, – it's not RSL people teaching the accelerator. It's it's software engineers and, and tech kind of industry people. The whole way through, all the, all the finance, the money men are like, why is this a charity, mate? I'll invest in it. you just got to make it a for-profit company. And my answer always was, if you give me your money as an investor, I have to do what you say. And that's never going to happen because we cannot ever change direction based on what's going to squeeze more cash versus yep. what's going to help veterans more. So uh, being a charity allows us to not be be influenced by cash, but at the same time, you need money to keep operating, which is why we, we've got the, the sale to the, the general public model. Yeah, yeah, good, mate. Go hard on that, man. Fucking up. Yeah, We'll have more chats on the back channel about this. I'm really impressed about who you guys and what you're doing, mate. It's yeah, great. mate. I was I was about to say, and we don't want to make you blush, mate. But I was I was about to, like I'm really loving the fact that regardless of the speed bumps, in the same way that I said leading into the conversation, like someone who's just decided not to fucking throw stones at an ivory tower, but someone's decided to you know what I want to actually make a change. I want to actually impact the defence community. In the same way that you've tried those those paths to be able to identify funding sources when they haven't worked, you haven't just gone oh fuck it, throw your hands in the air. You've gone no no this is going to work and we're not going to quit and we're going to make this happen so mate that it's kudos yeah. to you bro it's awesome appreciate it man. and i mean it's it's you hear it a hundred times if you get into business just for the money you probably end up failing because you you're yeah. motivated by the wrong thing correct and that's that's what happens Spoke if you're in it for the cash and the cash doesn't turn up one year you're like oh, i'm just going to fold this this is is at the point where it can pretty much run on on the whiff of an oily rag and everyone in this organization is here for the the purpose behind it not not for the money so Having been broke won't really slow us down, which is good. <laughs> you're not you're not broke in uh, in your motivations, mate. Maybe maybe uh, you know in those funding sources, but the motivations there and you know sense of purpose is something that we talk about very strongly. And I know you spoke about it earlier when we talk about veterans in their transition. Um, you know, without that sense of purpose, you are just a ship in the night. Like you, you know, it becomes the the problem sets become too large. The the lack of direction becomes too powerful, um, and you do end up. I know because I've been down that path, you do end up in a place where we, if you don't have that sense of purpose where you, you know, your wheels just fall off. Mm. Mm. Mate, yeah, um, let's wrap it up, mate. I, I just hope, and please, ladies and gents, I look, you know, look straight down the barrel. I hope you got something out of this podcast. Like, go to their website, explore it all. If you know someone, even if you're listening or watching this podcast right now, and you're like, I'm not in the military, but like, I know an Ambo or I know a fiery, I know a police officer, or I know a fucking whatever. I hope this thing goes global, mate. Like, this, yeah. have you got someone, have you got a, have you got like a champion who's out there sort of, you know, approaching the US military, UK military, or just getting yourself out there? Because if you've got an internet connection, right, you can fucking jump on and use the app and everything. Well, absolutely. So we, we have, now that we're selling to the public, we have just started marketing in the UK and awesome. in the US, um, but we, we don't have any networks over there yet. We're just doing digitally the way that we do things and, and we'll see how it goes. But yeah, any networks, we'd love to hear them. And I will, I'll send you boys a, a, a like a referral code to, to put out. I don't know wherever you want to put we, it, but of course, to get people do. directly into the to the um, recalibrate kind of funnel and, and get them seeing what it's all about. Absolutely, yeah. mate. We will put the link in the description for the video um, when this goes live for you, mate. Yeah. Adrian, thanks so much for joining us here at Axons Unleashed. Ladies and gents, I hope you really enjoyed that. Lukey, again, thank you so much for organising it, mate. Um, Pass my best regards to Kieran. I'll catch up with him down there soon. So, yeah, we'll come down to Sydney. Like, uh, now that we've had this chat, let me... 
let me speak to my wife, who's the actual boss of Axon, um, <laughs> about us coming down and uh, not just to fucking get on the beers, although we'll do that as well. I want to talk more about how Axon can be integrated in Swiss 8 long term. All right. Magic. I love it. Thanks, Thanks buddy. Have a great night. Thanks. See you, mate. Thanks.